Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome once again to another week of Ayers on the Road. This is Richard. And this is Linda. And one of the things that you uh, long-term listeners have probably noticed by now is that we do this show from wherever we happen to be. When the appointed hour rolls around, we just get on the phone from wherever we are, and sometimes we're at home, but usually we're not. And today, it ought to be called Ayers on the Trail, because I'm just getting off of my horse. It took a little longer in the mountains than I thought, and now I'm just getting back down to civilization, so thank goodness for cell phones. But Linda is safely ensconced in our house and ready to go. Right, Linda? I am home, and it's always fun to talk. Although we can't see you, uh, we have talked to several people who listen, <laughs> which is nice. And so we are ready to launch, Richard. You know, this has been an interesting week that's just passed. When you think about it, it's been the Republican National Convention from Tampa, Florida, and We've been listening very, very closely because Mitt and Ann Romney are such good friends of ours, and we're crossing our fingers and praying for them and hoping they'll do everything right. And more than that, we find ourselves hoping that somehow America at large will get to know the real Mitt and Ann Romney, the parents Mitt and Ann Romney, the family people Mitt and Ann Romney, the people who really are running for this office for the right reason, which is how can we strengthen the families and give our children in this country a real future. And so we've kind of been sitting there on pins and needles as we've watched this convention, haven't we, Linda? We have, although we really loved the program um, on the last day of the convention because it really showed the inside of Mitt and Romney, and especially uh, the wonderful stories from the older couple who could barely walk out on the stage. <laughs> I was worried they wouldn't make it to the microphone. And were they magnificent or what? They were so darling, telling the story of their 14-year-old son who had cancer and Mitt had taken such good care of him. And at one point, he, the little boy had asked if Mitt could just possibly help him work out a will because his, the end of his life was eminent. And Mitt showed up with a yellow pad and took notes and said, yes, we will take care of that for you. And who do you want your skateboard to go to? And so on and so on. Honestly, it was the sweetest story. And I just think everyone could hear all those stories because um, not only does he love his family, but he really loved his work in the church as well as at, at the office. And I better do a little disclaimer here. Obviously, BYU Radio is not endorsing a candidate, and obviously this is not a political show, but we are looking at this in the context of families and of parenting, and we look at everything in that context, in case you haven't noticed by now, and we tend to think in terms of what does this country need, what do the families of this country need in order to thrive and in order to do a little better. And because we know Mitt and Ann so well, we believe that they would be good for American families. And 
the sad thing about the convention, I thought, Linda, is that the wonderful parts about Mitt as a person, Mitt as a church leader, Mitt as a person that cares about others and, and does things for individual people, that part, unfortunately, ran early on Thursday night, last Thursday night, and unfortunately, primetime hadn't picked up its coverage, and so a tiny fraction of America saw the things you're referring to, Linda, of um, people who were essentially in Mitt's congregation and who were telling wonderfully personal and sort of unvarnished, un unspun, just regular stories about Mitt as a person and how caring and how concerned he is about individuals and about families. And then, unfortunately, when prime time came, someone's poor planning, uh, instead of these wonderful personal testimonials, all we got was a slightly odd Clint Eastwood talking to an empty chair. And we, Linda and I were sitting there just wishing that we could rearrange that program so that uh, what people saw in prime time instead of goofy Clint Eastwood was these testimonials of what a father and what a minister and what a personal, concerned human being Mitt Romney really is. And, you know, we kind of wondered if it was just us that thought that because we think so much of the Romneys. But the talking heads on on all of the news channels today were saying the same thing. What in the world are we thinking? But anyway, it is really interesting that the Romneys are one of the most terrific families that we have met. They We know there are some of their children, not all of them, but uh, Mitt and Anne, and especially Anne, her talk at the convention was spectacular as far as I'm concerned. She was so terrific. Man, she has learned... I think how to let all the meanness and ugliness of politics roll, roll, and just roll right off of her. And she has just come through this clean, which is a miracle. But you know, I, I do have to say that she is the real deal. We were up at their house after the last. I, I guess it was during the last. Oh no, it was after the last election, and that was a Christmas time. And uh, two of our, their son and our, one of our sons have become really good friends and. And so we were talking about that, and, and then we went just went to visit them. And this Anne had just gone down. This was up in Deer Valley, and she'd gone down to Park City to get something and had fallen down on the ice. And she had this huge gash in her elbow, and she said, I was so embarrassed because everyone knew who I was. So I just jumped up and ran home and just said, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. But so she got home, and then she looked at her elbow, and it was just, bleeding profusely and needed some stitches so she went to the instacare and got some stitches and then she came home to greet us and just before we got there she said she was taking down christmas decorations and she walked into a chair accidentally who tried to undecorate and broke a toe and so she was kind of limping around and saying you know i'm okay i'm okay i mean this is probably one of the most courageous women in the world this was before the breast cancer but after the ms to have to go through all of that with a family and keep everybody intact is so incredible to me. Well, now again, I just have to keep reminding ourselves and you listeners, we're not talking politics here. The the reason that we wish more people in America 
knew this family as a family and knew Mid and Ann Romney as parents is because we think that would be a boost in the arm for parenting. And, and we feel that, uh, and again, you know this about us if you listen very often, we think that almost all the problems in the world could be solved by better families, by stronger families, by parents putting putting in greater effort. And these two people are a good example of that. In fact, uh, one time, I think, when we were at their house, Linda, you may remember, that uh, I went upstairs to try to find Med and found him in a bedroom changing a messy diaper of one of his grandkids and having a great time with this little child. And I thought right at that moment, this is the Mitt Romney that the world needs to know about. Now, the big question is, why don't they talk more about who they are in the church, in their church, in their family, and so on, in the campaign itself? And that's a tough question, but I think... I think we know the answer. I think a lot of people know the answer. The, the reason is because their ethic and their sort of value system does not lend itself to opening up to a large extent about personal things for political gain. In other words, I think the help they give, the things they do for their family, the things they do in their community, the things they do in their church, they don't do them in order to persuade voters to vote for them. They don't do them in order to create an image. They don't do them in order to say, look, aren't I a good person? They do them because they want to do them, because that's their ethic and that's their values. And so it seems to them a little not wrong, perhaps, but a little out of step to boast about the things that they do because they feel that they're their duty or because they feel that that's the kind of people they are. And so it's a a dilemma in a way. It's a conundrum. How does America get to know this presidential candidate in a way that makes them like him as a person as well as respect him as a potential office holder? And, you know, maybe we do our little part on this little radio show by sort of saying that's what that's what matters what matters in life when all is said and done is not our other accomplishments it is how hard we try and how committed we are and how much we prioritize our parenting our families our relationships within our family no one has ever said it better than President David O. McKay, the former president of the LDS Church, who said, I love the simplicity of it, no other success can compensate for failure in the home. And I think they really personified that, as do so many good families, and uh, probably a lot of these listeners are a good example of that as well. But we're going to take a little break now, and... uh, When we come back, we'll have fun continuing our conversation. And we're back um, talking today about a little bit about families and politics and a little bit about the lessons that we can learn from them. And obviously, as always, talking about the importance of parenting in our lives and grandparenting as well, because that's where we are right now. That is certainly where we are. Um, 
Just to pick up on some of the threads from before, let me just say that I think one of the things that uh, needs to be talked more about across America, and maybe maybe this political campaign will generate additional discussion about it, and that is um, where is the best place to solve the problems this country faces? I mean, everyone knows, and if we don't know it, then the campaign for president seems to underscore it, that we're in a lot of difficulty right now in America. We've got economic problems. We've certainly got a lot of social problems. Um, we lead the world in the percentage of our population that is incarcerated and, and a prison or a jail. Um, we're losing ground in our educational attainment. We rank 32nd in the world in terms of math scores that kids have and so on. What, the question many ask is, what has happened? What is the cause? What is the root of the decline that many people see in America? And some people exaggerate it. Some people say, you know, the 20th century was the American century and 21st century is the time when we'll see America decline and become just another country with economic problems, with big debt, and so on. I don't think we need to go that far, but, but it's still a good question to ask, where is the cause? What is happening here, and how can it be corrected? And this, this won't come as any great surprise that we think this, and I don't think it's a very profound thought to begin with, but I think one thing all of us kind of know is that the best place to solve problems, the best place to make progress is within our homes and our families. And another way to say that is once a problem or a difficulty or a challenge goes beyond the home and escapes out into society, into, let's say, the welfare system or the criminal justice system, or the juvenile justice system. In other words, once a problem with a child or with an individual becomes so severe that the family can't handle it, or maybe the family never tried and wasn't there in the first place, suddenly that problem becomes impossibly expensive to solve. And that's where we end up with too much government and too much expense and too much debt is trying to do the things that families really ought to be doing for themselves. And why do we have this decline in the life? That's the real question. You know, it really is a sad commentary when we see how many single mothers are struggling on their own and how many kids don't even know who their dad is. Um, in center city situations, I'm sure many of you saw the blind side and and what a sad situation that is where that mother was trying so hard but just didn't have a clue they just need they've never had any training and we run into parents so often that just say i actually say i appreciate the things that i've read or things that i've you've taught us because i just don't have any idea what a normal functioning family should be like and i think that it happens more than we know and more than we're aware of, because we're kind of in our little bubble um, as far as happy, healthy families and so on, although they all have problems. There's, Of course, there's divorce and um, 
abuse and things like that that we're aware of, but there are so many things that we aren't aware of. We realize that the family really is the base of all the problems that we see. It is just over and over again that is where it is coming from. Absolutely. You know, it's easier sometimes to talk about what the problem is than to deal with how in the world we get at it, how do we solve it. And I guess I guess what we'd like to share, we're becoming a little more personal perhaps than we intended to today, but we think government is never going to solve the problem. Government's never going to train families to do better. Government's never going to sort of have an edict that all parents have to be more committed to their kids. That'll never happen. Churches will certainly help. Um, Communities will certainly help. But the real answer kind of comes down to the one of the society. And a lot of times as we travel around dealing with parents, we, we find that, you know, this individual family knows their kids are their most important priority. And, and they, they really believe that, but they don't really see a lot of other families doing the same kind of thing or giving them a good example or giving them credit for trying hard as families and so on. And so we we sort of have this crazy little mission statement, Linda and I, that we haven't implemented very fully yet, but at least it's in our minds and in our hearts. And we say it like this, we want to fortify families by celebrating commitment, by popularizing parenting, by validating values, and by bolstering balance. And if you like alliteration, That's there a lot, was a of, lot alliteration of alliteration there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, again, what I'm what I want to put across is. It's it's about how we think. It's about what's popular. It's about what's happening. It's about what we think is the right thing and the fun thing to do. So that's why we say we want to popularize parenting, not cram it down someone's throat, not uh, put them on a guilt trip until they try harder to be better parents. It's all about saying, hey, you know, not only is this the most important thing in your life, it's the most fun thing in your life. It's the thing that you are really missing out on if you don't get involved and if you don't really roll your sleeves up and do it. Well, you know, we have um, when our youngest son is just about to dive into parenthood for the first time. We're so excited because they've been married for about three years and they she's working at the Oncology Children's Cancer hospital in Washington, D.C., and he's She's working a with a, a wonderful uh, company called Imagine Learning, but they are about to hit the real world. Um, this is where the rubber hits the road as far as um, really becoming parents, and they are a little bit apprehensive. They both come from big families and are wonderful with children, but, you know, when you're looking at that for the very first time, you just think, ah, oh, I don't know, how can I do this? How, what will happen? Will I be a good parent or not? And and uh, we, we had to laugh because we're going to have a, a family Christmas party here. We only do that about once every 10 years, but we are going to try and get people, kids to come home for Christmas um, as many as we possibly can, and their due date is December 26th. 
what could be a worse date than that for several reasons? But, of course, we're delighted, and so are they. But uh, it well, is really what, interesting. What I, want, what I want to just throw in, Linda, is that it's, uh, you know, in a way, Eli and Julie, this young son of ours and his wife, are they're, they're the epitome of what we're really talking about because, sure, they're apprehensive, and you, everyone is having their first child, but they're so excited they feel like their life is really going to begin when they have a child because they know, as we all do, really, when we search our souls, that uh, nothing's more important. That this is this is the goal of life. This is the formation of the family, which everything else we do in life is in support of. And so, you know, we watch them and how excited they are and how thrilled they are and how how much they anticipate having a baby and raising a child. And we say to ourselves, you know, that's what we're talking about. If everyone viewed parenthood the same way, if everyone saw the privilege in becoming a parent and put their effort into it, no one's perfect, no one is without mistakes, but when that commitment is there, that priority is there, when parenting is popularized, in other words, and commitment is celebrated, then we've got a world that's going to work. The problems it has are going to be solved within a home rather than out in the government or out in the structure of society beyond the home, and everyone's going to get along okay in the long run. Well, I have to uh, stop on your word of troubles and trials because it is not all happiness every day, especially when you have a houseful of teenagers. <laughs> but um, it is amazing that what we grow from and learn from is that refiner's fire of having these children. And we have a daughter who some of you may be aware of because she has a very popular blog called 71 Toes at blogspot.com. And they went along merrily and had these four beautiful children, and then she just begged to have a fifth child. She just felt like they had to have this child, and this child is the joy of their lives, but she also came with a very rare syndrome, which has created some huge issues in their lives um, for good and also for ill because there's so many doctor appointments, so many things to deal with, and many of you are dealing with ch children with special needs. And so it's not all happy, you know, happiness and joy because there are so many real things in life that we have to grapple with. And I do have to say, in defense of the government, that they have helped this little girl so much. She just turned six. Now her name is Lucy. And uh, it looks like she is an artist. She's a fabulous artist. But the sad part of that is it looks like she's going to lose her sight sometime between the ages of 9 and 15. So, you know, there are those heartaches and those hard things to deal with as well as the yeah. joyful things. But, so you know, we even, have to remind ourselves of that. Yeah, even, even the heartaches become part of the texture of real life and of real growth in life and so on. And maybe, maybe just to swing the conversation back in a circle to where we started, um, I think that uh, the most poignant part of the Republican convention, and by the way, a lot of people agree with me, we sometimes switch back and forth from the most extreme left-wing cable station like MSNBC to the most conservative cable station like Fox News, and it's very rare that you get 
them agreeing on anything, but there was unanimous agreement on these talking heads, on these pundits, about the most powerful part of the Republican convention being the personal family stories, like Anne talking about, uh, you know, my life is not a storybook life. It's not a storybook marriage because I never saw in the storybooks a chapter on MS or on breast cancer, and I never saw anything about the the long winter days with five boys in a house trying to keep them all from fighting and killing each other. And, and the most poignant part of Mitt's talk, everyone seems to agree, was talking about how he longed now for one more time to settle a fight between those five boys or one more morning to wake up and see a little pile of boys sleeping in their bedroom had crept in during the night, and there they were when when Mitt and Ann woke up. And people, there is a universal language that parents understand. There's a universal emotion that parents understand that is stronger than anything else. And it, it's about how important and how wonderful families are. And irrespective of policies or politics or whatever, what I long for is to have examples in all parts of life, in the sporting world, in the music world, in the business world, in the political world, of families who not only prioritize their children and their relationships, but who are not afraid to talk about that and who are not afraid to say, this is, this is where it's at, this is what's good about life. Join us. Popularize and prioritize your own kids. And I think the more of that we see, and I should end, Linda, too, by saying we, you know, if there's one thing we admire about Barack and Michelle Obama, they seem to be solid family people. They prioritize those daughters. They, they work hard to be honorable parents. And Absolutely that's what fact. matters, and that's what counts. That's so We're true. I just, I just heard tonight that... Uh, that Barack really likes to be home with his family at the dinner table at 6 o'clock every night, which is really admirable. So we hope that no matter where you are, no matter what party you belong to or not at all, that you really enjoy your family just a little bit more this week because it is our highest priority and our greatest joy. See you next week. We'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road.